0: We live in a culture where marriage is under attack, but yet people still want to be married. When you ask young people, what is it that you most desire out of life? Most of them will say, I'd like to one day be married and have a family of my own. But then if you ask those same people, well, what do you think your odds are for having a healthy, stable, married relationship? The responses drop considerably to less than half. Because kids today, they look around and they say, wow, I mean, I'd like to attain this ideal for having, um, being married and having a family, but my, my odds don't look very good. You know, I see um, parents' divorce, uh, parents of my friends' divorce, aunts and uncles, cousins. All around, there's family breakup. And yet, God has given us this great relationship it's an earthy relationship that we can be a part of and his word gives us a blueprint for how to make it successful and so we're going to look at that today and when you walk out of here today this is my prayer for you that you will have a greater understanding for God's design in marriage and a greater appreciation for the institution of marriage and also that you will have more hope in your own marriage So if you want to pull out your notes, we're going to look first at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Marriage is a place. And most of us don't think of marriage as being a place. We think of it as being a relationship or a union, but a place. And I'm going to show you today how God's design is that marriage is a place. This verse says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, Be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There are three main parts to this verse. The first is leave. The second part is a join, which in some of your Bibles may say cleave. And then the third part is one flesh. And this is a dynamic order and a process for building a healthy marriage. And we're going to unpack this together. First of all, this is the only scripture in the Bible that is mentioned four times. And it's significant that there aren't a whole lot of uh, passages in the Old Testament that talk directly about marriage. There's an understanding that there's a marriage relationship, but as far as a guideline for it, not until you get to the New Testament do you see a lot of actual specific things for us to do in our marriages. This was mentioned here in Genesis and not again until the New Testament when Jesus says this. And it's in response to some Pharisees' questions about divorce. It's significant that this should show up right here after the creation of the first humans. And the reason for that is because Adam and Eve had no parents. And yet it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. I look at this verse as God's gift to all mankind. This verse is situated right after the creation of the first human couple. It predates the church, it predates Israel, it predates all of humanity, that this was God's design for how men and women should come together and form a union. Well, it says, for this reason. Well, for what reason? And to find that answer, we just need to back up a couple of verses to the story of God taking the rib out of Adam and making the the woman and bringing her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is about a man and a woman. And we are drawn together. And God designed it that way. Over the course of a life... 95% 95% of people will marry. So you could see that we are, we are designed to come together, to mate, to join with another person. The next part of the verse says that man leaves his father and mother. And this is rather significant. In every culture around the world, it's the woman who has to leave her family of origin... And then move to her husband's tribe or clan or family and join to his and give up her family identity. But God is giving us an equalizing text here by saying that the man also has to leave his family of origin and be joined to his wife. So that was rather powerful considering the cultural. Um, implications at that time. And I think this was probably a very hard verse for people in the Old Testament to understand. You had rampant polygamy. You had I mean, just look at Solomon. My goodness. Here's somebody that took um, the injunction to, uh, to marry to a, quite the extreme degree. Join. This is a pretty powerful verb. This one in Hebrew talks about gluing or cementing together so that they become inseparable and the image that i like is if two pieces of paper had been glued together until they form one piece of paper and if you then went to try to tear them apart what would happen to the paper both pieces would get ripped and that's what the Bible is saying about marriage. It needs to be something that is glued together. It becomes inseparable. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Because in that separating, there's tearing and there's destruction of the two people. And then one flesh. This is the part that most people like the most because this is the consummation of a marriage. But it's more than just a physical aspect. It's two halves, not that make one whole, but two whole persons who form an entirely new whole. And so one flesh is the idea of no longer two, but one. It's a unique bond, and it's found only in marriage. This verse also sheds light on some other things for us. It talks about one man and one woman, singular, that automatically excludes every other pairing or grouping. And then, of course, by definition, we're talking about people here. There's an order and a process for building a healthy marriage. And you have a diagram on your notes, and we are going to go through this together. Of course, I don't happen to have that note. Maybe it's in here. There's a triangle there, and we're going to fill in these blanks. If you want to, we can connect the dots for the top part of the triangle, and that is leaving That's the legal aspect of a marriage relationship. That's the wedding. That's the part that's done out in public. It could be a marriage processional, like used to happen in the old days when a bridegroom would have this parade almost going from his house to the bride's to pick her up. And today it's the wedding ceremony. It's where you invite your friends and your family and they come and they celebrate with you. It's saying publicly, we are doing this thing. The second angle is to join. This is the personal aspect, and it's called the love angle. This is the part where there's the romance. This is the chemistry part of the relationship. This is the thing that attracts you to your mate, that, that was that original spark that made you say, ha, there's something in that person that I like. And some people wonder what that spark could possibly be. Well, I'm going to tell you about my spark, or at least part of my spark. After our very first date, my husband uh, put a card on my desk in my office. And the date wasn't technically a date, even though he calls it a date now, but for me it was just doing him a favor. (laughs) So I go into my office the next morning, and there's a card sitting on my desk. And I thought, Oh, brother, I hate cards after dates. These are usually mushy, stupid things that people say. I had a great time last night. So I open up the card, and there's a picture of a dog sitting on a laying on a park bench. And it says, have you ever thought where you'd be if we had never met? And again, I kind of groaned on the inside. And then I open the card, and it said, let's face it, you'd be in the gutter. Who, who sends cards like that? <laughs> who does that? Well, he was a, a genius marketer, and he knew that any kind of advertising was good for him. I came looking for him and said, what were you thinking, giving me a card like this? How dare you? And he basically said, it got a reaction out of you, didn't it? <laughs> so that joining angle is the love it's the spark it's the thing that sets that person apart in your mind and then lastly it's the right angle is one flesh it's complete physical emotional and spiritual union well this looks like a triangle but it's actually not it's actually a tent And in the Old Testament, a tent is a metaphor for a place of shelter, a place of safety, a place of nurture and comfort. And that's what a marriage becomes when you have all three pieces of the triangle working together. Each one of them is feeding and energizing the other, it becomes a dynamic triangle that gives life to the relationship. But what happens when one of those angles is missing? Well, let's say that you don't have the wedding ceremony. So the top of your tent is missing. You're not covered or protected. And in modern day, that's called living together. It's cohabitation, and it's quite popular nowadays. And quite frankly, I can't blame a lot of young people for wanting that, because they look around and they say, well, my odds don't look very good. So how about if we try this out first? Unfortunately, they don't have that top angle of, pr- of protection covering their marriage. And sadly, only about 25% of people who live together actually go on to get married. And then of those, 70% of those marriages end in failure. Now, that's not to say that any of those marriages can't make it, but it just provides so many more obstacles Now, thankfully, because of Christ, we do have someone who can come in and repair those broken places. Premarital involvement with just one sexual partner other than the person you marry triples your risk of divorce as compared with those who had only sex with their husbands. So it's rather significant. Now, I do find it interesting that this church is rather modern, more modern than I thought. I heard that you started with sex, and now you're finally getting to marriage. (laughs) and actually i heard the order was parenting was it parenting sex and then marriage (laughs) i I love that kind of backwards (laughs) the greatest gift that you can give your kids is your healthy marriage and the statistics bear this out as well first of all for the married couple themselves you are wealthier, you're healthier, you live longer, there's less depression, and you enjoy better sex than your cohabiting or single fellow citizens. But a lot of people don't know that because the image that we see on television and the movies is that somehow commitment or marriage kills the romance or it destroys the love. And the opposite is actually true. When people try to prove their love to each other by living together first, they actually destroy the very thing that they're trying to prove. Do my actions build up or tear down my marriage? In Proverbs 14.1 and also in Proverbs 9.1, there's a great contrast. The one verse says that wisdom builds her house. And she sets her table with all kinds of incredibly sumptuous things. But the other verse, 9-1 in contrast, talks about how the foolish woman tears down her house with her very own hands. And it's not talking about a physical house. It's talking about a metaphor. That the things that we say and the things that we do can tear down those relationships in our lives. And it's interesting that this one particular proverb is speaking in the feminine voice. And I think there's particular implications for women. That women, oftentimes with the things that we say, we're very good at tearing down another person. So we have to ask ourselves, do my actions build up or tear down my marriage? Secondly, marriage is a picture. Ephesians 5 Verses 15 through 33, and we're going to look at three verses here today. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And then verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is a great picture of what men and women need how many people here have heard about the love and respect series raise your hands or been to a conference read a book it's an Excellent resource for marriages. And last year, Every Marriage Matters was able to sponsor that conference in Clackamas County. And we had the privilege of having about 1,800 people come out and hear the Egericks speak. And they were really blessed by that. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. What I want to talk about or what I want to point to in this particular passage of Scripture is that men and women are different. They have different needs because they were created by God differently on purpose and that we complement each other. Now, men also need love, but they need respect more. And women also need respect, but they need love more. This is a picture of complementarity, not competition. Now, what do I mean? Let me give you an example. In general, women look better in skirts. And in general, men look better doing the laundry. <laughs> My husband's smiling. He does the laundry. But I'll tell you why he does the laundry. He does the laundry because it gives him an excuse to sit on the couch for two hours on Sunday afternoon and watch an entire football game. So when he comes to me and he says, Hey, I'm going to go do some laundry, I say, Who's playing? In complementarity, what you do is you sit down together and you work out what your own relationship looks like. Your relationship, your marriage is unique. There's no one else on the face of the planet who has your relationship. And so the two of you get to sit down and build this together to figure out what your roles are, what your responsibilities are, how it looks. Now, my husband... We call him the Rick of all trades because he can do just about anything except for when he walks into the kitchen. And then he becomes kind of clueless. So the other night, after I had been working, and I was still working, he made dinner. Do you know what he made? Scrambled eggs and hot dogs. Mm. (laughs) Mmm. Such a marvelous combination. (laughs) But I, on the other hand am clueless when it comes to cleaning the toilets. So see, you work that out together as a couple. You say, what works for us? A lot of couples nowadays want to do things differently than how their parents did it. They say, you know, our our parents had very traditional gender roles within their relationship. And they always seem to be a little uncomfortable or disconnected or maybe unhappy with that but so you get to work that out together and scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of guidelines as far as how that looks of course it does talk about the man being the head of the family and having leadership roles but in terms of who does what there's not a whole lot of definition there and you get to figure that out there are two common errors about men and women today that are very prevalent in our society and unfortunately they influence us in very negative ways the first one is unisex feminism and this says that men and women are not different in value therefore they are not different in nature and this is in response to another attitude which is called male chauvinism and we've heard that but what does that really mean it says that men and women are different in nature therefore they are also different in value So what you have is two ideas that are both wrong. Neither one of these are healthy for the genders working together in complementarity. And neither one of these are biblical. You guys at this church are very blessed. You have an excellent legacy of two genders working together in unity. First of all, with Ed and Ivy. And that's when we went to church here. Quite a long time ago, we made the commute from Troutdale every Sunday morning out to Hillsboro because we really wanted to see how Ed and Ivy worked together as a couple. And now under Jared and Ann's leadership as well, you are very blessed here to be able to see couples who work together so well. They figured it out. And it comes just through easy communication, which might not be so easy, but that's what it comes from. The whole Bible narrative is one big romance novel. Have you ever thought of the Bible as a romance novel before? Probably not. But if you look at the whole overarching story of the Bible, it's about God wooing us. He wants to have relationship with us. He entered humanity and time because of us, because of his great love for us. The Bible starts with a wedding, With three people involved You've got God, Adam, and Eve And Eve showed up kind of (laughs) late But God totally set the stage For this wedding And then at the end of the Bible The Bible's great climax Is a wedding It's a wedding in heaven That we are being prepared for As his bride, as his church In Catholic theology Marriage is the little church Our marriages represent the church to the world. They represent Christ's love for the church to the world. And that's the picture that we get to be to our neighbors and to our children and to our co-workers, is that our marriages represent something significant to those around us. I love this quote by author Peter Kreeft. History is a broken marriage, and God puts it back together again. That's what he's in the business of doing, repairing those broken foundations, fixing those walls, fixing our tent so that it is a solid, safe place again. There's this great lesson from the ancient Greeks, and I love things like this because they create fabulous word pictures for our minds. So the ancient Greeks were valiant, feared warriors, And when they would go ashore on an enemy land to conquer it, the first thing that the commanders would do is they would order that all the boats be burned. They would would yell, burn the boats. And so the warriors would be standing on that shore before they'd go on to conquer. And they would watch those boats behind them as they would turn to ash and slip into the ocean. And they knew that they had absolutely no way to retreat their only way through vict- to victory was to go forward together. They weren't going to get home until they had conquered this together. And that's a great picture for marriages, is that sometimes we feel like bagging it, skipping out, chucking it. But if we have this idea in our heads that no... Any way of retreat is gone. All we can do is move forward together, and then it forces you to work together and to confront the issues in your relationship. Every great achievement starts with a plan of action and an unshakable commitment to its accomplishment, especially relationships. So what's the picture of your marriage? It's something that you, too, get to create together. It's a number one predictor for divorce. And I think people find this to be surprising. It's called avoidance of conflict. And oftentimes people avoid conflict because they think that conflict is what leads to the breakup of a relationship. But it's not the conflict. It's the avoidance of it. Conflict is inevitable in our lives. I mean, if you have been married for five minutes, there's conflict. And how you learn to deal with it will determine the outcome of your relationship. And then lastly, marriage is a process. And this one probably makes the most sense. It's about having realistic expectations. We don't get perfection in marriage. When we go down the aisle and we do our vows, it's for better or for worse. Why is it that we always just think it's for better? It's for worse, too. And in this life, you get both and I'd love to show you a quick little video that illustrates that so well.
1: Mrs. Lee, I believe you have some words to say about the dearly departed. I'm not going to sing praises for my late husband. Not today. Neither am I going to talk about how good he was. Enough people have done that here. Instead, I want to talk about some things that will make some of you feel a bit uncomfortable. First off, I want to talk about what happened in bed. Ever had difficulty starting your car engine in the morning? Well, that's exactly what David's snoring sounded like but wait snoring wasn't everything there was also this rear end wind action going on as well some nights it would be so forceful it would wake him up what was that? he would ask oh it's the dog I would say go back to sleep dear oh you might find this all very funny But towards the end of his life, when his illness was at its worst, these sounds indicated to me that my David was still alive. And what I wouldn't give just to hear those sounds again before I sleep. In the end, it's these small things that you remember, the little imperfections that make them perfect for you. So to my beautiful children, I hope one day you too find yourselves life partners who are as beautifully imperfect as your father was to me.
0: on to YouTube and you can see that. And there's also this fabulous interview that was done with the director and the producer of that video. She was a Muslim woman from Malaysia who produced this. And she did it for the country of Singapore. And the reason that she did it was because that in Singapore, as in other modernized, westernized countries around the world, young people are delaying marriage or putting off marriage altogether because in their mind, they think that they have to find this perfect person, or that they themselves have to be perfect in order to get married. But anybody who's been, who hasn't been married at all knows that that ideal just isn't even possible. Marriage is definitely a process. I've taken some liberty with the verse in James, verses, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into love, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Marriage can be a sanctifying process. It can be God's work to change you, to make, him, to make you more like him. Sometimes it's good to look at the reasons that you fell into love in the first place and to remember what it was that drew you to your spouse. Leo Tolstoy said that what counts in making a happy marriage is not so much how compatible you are, but how you deal with incompatibility. Did you know that a major key to a successful relationship is learning to cope with small annoyances before they escalate into bigger problems? And it's also been said that if the two of you can agree on cleanliness standards, that you can overcome any obstacle together. Doesn't it seem like the biggest gripes that we have with one another is how we uh, leave the toothpaste cap off the uh, tube of toothpaste or the toilet seat is up? I love what comedian Jeff Allen says when his wife came to him and said, is this your pair of underwear on the floor? And he says, it better be, otherwise you have some explaining to do. (laughs) But it really is true that if you can... Work together on the small issues. They won't ever become bigger ones. The number one predictor of divorce. Have I already covered this? Avoidance of conflict? Yeah. If God in Christ, a perfect person, was willing to enter our mess and live life with us, why do we expect marriage to be perfect when we ourselves are imperfect human beings? We need to enter the relationship with our eyes wide open, ready for an adventure at every turn. And if your marriage is not ideal, if it's going through difficult times, if there's distress, if there are problems, listen to the wisdom of Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. Don't stay there. Get help. There are so many resources today. There are counselors, there are seminars, there are retreats. There are things that are designed for young couples and and middle-aged couples and older couples to deal with all the challenges that you face. We live in an excellent time for tons of resources to help us work on our marriage. And then remember that marriage is an art. You get to create what it looks like, and it's not like anybody else's marriage. You do what works for you. Marriage is an earthly institution and it points us to our eternal relationship of complete oneness and unity with Christ. So in the end, a good marriage should leave us longing for heaven, not loathing our time on earth. And I have a feeling that there are some people who really do wish heaven for their spouse (laughs) sooner rather than later. (laughs) But that's not the point of this. The point of this is that Our marriage is a small-scale version of what, an incomplete version of what our life will be like in heaven with Christ. Marriage is designed by God to represent his love for the world, to create a nurturing environment for the development of the soul, and to provide a secure place in which to raise up every generation, pointing us to our ultimate destiny in Christ. I've given you a few ideas here to work through together with your spouse, to work on your marriage, to improve communication. There are six things. And I thought, just for the sake of we're all used to combo meals, so pick two. Smile at your spouse. Pray with your spouse. The divorce rate for couples who pray together is less than 1%. Be your spouse's PR agent. Actions precede emotion. There's a lot of times that we don't feel like it. Our emotions just aren't there. We might not feel romantic. We might not feel lovey-dovey feelings towards our spouse. But that's why you do something anyway. Do the action. And then the action actually brings about those good feelings. And this has been proven in modern science, that they've shown that people who go and they act kind to someone actually start developing kind feelings towards that person as well. Do new things together at least once a month. When you do new things, not the same old thing, you're developing new pathways in your brain. It's building memories together, and you're bonding. Last year, my husband and I took up ballroom dancing with minimal pain. You could try kayaking, go hiking, go conquer a new place together, travel to a new destination, but just do something new. It's called the spice of life. And then remember why you married your spouse. And then are you the person that your spouse fell in love with? And then lastly, list specific things that you are thankful for regarding your spouse. I love the fact that my husband does the laundry. That's a fabulous, fabulous blessing to me. Here's a commitment. Lord, I don't want to remain unchanged. So let your marriage change you to be more like Christ. In closing, I'd like to pray for all of our marriages. Would you bow your head with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we commit today our marriages, present and future, to your process, that we may be a picture to the world and to each other of your love for the world. May our marriages be shelters of your love to benefit both of us and those who need a safe place of refuge. We yearn for our ultimate union with you, May your grace fall upon us and may your Holy Spirit guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.